You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Grace. And today we are going to be talking about the case of Karen Denise Wells, who went missing from the Carlisle area in 1994. So Karen Denise Wells went by her middle name, Denise. So that's how I'm going to refer to her through the rest of the story. And she lived in a tiny little town, Haskell, Oklahoma. And she was a single mother of a baby boy. She was described by a friend as shy and soft-spoken and not a partier or a bar hanger, which I've never heard that phrase before. She doesn't hang out at bars. So in April 1994, she decided to take a trip, a road trip to New Jersey to see Melissa, who was her friend from high school, who was apparently having some personal problems. So she was just going to take a trip out and help out a friend. So she dropped off her son at her parents' house on April 10th and told them that she'll be back in about four days. So that seems like a very quick trip, right? Like driving from Oklahoma to New Jersey and back again. Isn't that like super far? I would think so. Like two Days each way almost. Yes. What's the Haskell, Oklahoma? I actually have a map at the bottom of this document. Of course you do. (laughs) And it has like a lot to do with the story, like specific areas. So I think it's the first one. Yeah. So it's like, um, depending on what route you take, if she was trying to avoid tolls, like it might be longer, but at least like 17 and a half hours if you're driving fast. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, exactly. Um, But she told her parents she'd be back in about four days. And um, we'll see in a second that she was only in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, by the night of April 12th. So not even all the way to New Jersey. Exhausted because she apparently hadn't slept since she left Oklahoma. So she left on the 10th. She hadn't slept on the 12th. Jeez. Well, I guess... If you can only go for four days, right, and it takes eighteen hours one way to drive there, yeah, well, probably more. What like twenty hours one way because that was only to Carlisle was the eighteen hours. So the eighteen hours was that map was to New Jersey, was it? Yeah, just to show how long it would be. But I might have labeled it wrong. But it was to Jersey. Um, But yeah, so she was really exhausted. She hadn't slept, so she stopped at the Pike Motel in the 1100 block of Harrisburg Pike in Carlisle, and that's still there, by the way. Posted a picture of that as well. Um, When she checked in around 6:30 p.m., she asked if she could just sleep in the room for a few hours because I guess they did that. It was that kind of motel. Well, you want to know something? (laughs) I um. I'm one of those crazy persons that, that likes to drive all the way through. And mm-hmm. I was the, not the smartest person. We had to go to Maine and I was like, I'm going to go right before bed. So Landon will sleep the entire time. Wrong decision. I ended up stopping at a very upscale motel. Um, it wasn't a motel. It was a hotel. And I just couldn't go any further. And I didn't even care. I was like, I'll use my credit card. And I basically told them, I was like, well, I want to check out before like eight. And they gave me a discount too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think it's just like a motel. I think they just do it. They could tell like I was like dying and I was like, I'm going to be leaving by like seven. It wasn't even, I think six hours. And they gave me like a fourth of the rate. 
Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, Pike Motel. I'm sure you're very <laughs> ups, uh, very upstanding. Uh, may or may not be. You know, we're not sure. But that anyway. area has some nice stuff. That area has some sketchy stuff. And I don't I know. know that particular motel. So, well, Carlisle now is kind of, um, you know, with it's having the main street come back. It's kind of bougie because I stopped there on the way. I think we were going to like West Virginia or something. And we stopped there. We had this place called the Gingerbread Man. <laughs> oh, that's just like awesome. Cute. There's a Gingerbread scene. Man in uh, Mechanicsburg, too. Oh, OK. The G-Man. They give you. My uh, mom works in Carlisle. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah. They give you like the little gingerbread cookies with like, mm. yeah, I thought it was super cute. But <laughs> anyway, I'm, super cute. I'm not exactly sure what it was like in the 90s. So she checked in around 630, asked if she could sleep for a few hours. So she got a, she did get a discounted rate. She also arranged for long distance telephone service. So we'll talk about a call log in a little bit. But I didn't see anything about long distance calls. Besides, like, calls she made to New Jersey. So it was, like, PA to New Jersey, long distance in the 90s. Like, I was four at this time. <laughs> and I don't mean to sound like an idiot, but does this count as long distance or at a motel? I wouldn't think so. Yeah. I was a literal newborn child. I have no <laughs> idea. I was a kid, too, so I'm not sure. Well, it's... Probably sounds really ignorant then, but like, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm not sure. For some reason, I always thought long distance was like over. I guess that wouldn't make sense, though. I was thinking it had to be like over a time zone, but that wouldn't make sense because if it's north to south, it could still be long distance. It just so, doesn't no, make I'm sense just an because idiot. That's fine. the place in New Jersey where she called her friend, it was like three and a half hours from here. Like any I'm not I'm just not really sure. But I know she specifically asked for like long distance calls to be allowed in her room or whatever. She maybe arranged she for it, wasn't paid for sure it. Or how far she was. So maybe she like We will talk about her getting hella lost. So Okay. So maybe she <laughs> thought it was gonna be farther and just wanted long distance in case. Maybe. Could be. I mean PA is a really big damn state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And if you're you know, she's from Oklahoma, so if you're not familiar um, but she called Melissa, the friend she was going to see from her hotel room at 7 p.m. to tell her she was just not going to make it to New Jersey. Um, apparently, she had gotten really, really lost along the way and she hadn't slept in like 48 hours. So she's like, I am just Jeez. not going to make it to you. Um, she invited her to come to the hotel. So she's like, hey, you just want to come see me? I know I'm like three and a half hours. Well, she didn't know probably, but she was three and a half hours away from um there in New Jersey. But Melissa said she would be there around midnight. So Denise told her that she was going to go eat at McDonald's and would then return to the hotel to take a nap. Um, after this phone call around 8 p.m., Denise went down to the hotel front desk to ask where the nearest McDonald's was. Some sources say she actually went to the desk to ask for matches around 7.30, which is like two different things. I think I tend to believe the matches one and the other sources got a little confused because like a McDonald's was mentioned in the story. But I, I can't yeah, I see imagine your confused face <laughs> like. Now, maybe this is just ignorance of being a literal newborn at this time, but I can't imagine somebody like intentionally seeking out a McDonald's, like not just saying, hey, is there any fast food around here or but like 
specifically asking for McDonald's and like telling her friend she's going to go to McDonald's before she even asks if there's one nearby. Like to me, it seems like, hey, I saw a McDonald's, so I'm going to go get food, but I need to swing in to the front desk and get matches on the way for whatever. She smoked. So I'm assuming it was for that. That would make sense. Yeah. That makes more sense to me than like, hey, I'm going to get McDonald's, even though I don't know if there's a McDonald's here. Let me go to the front desk and ask for this one specific chain restaurant. Well, if she was getting as lost as she appeared to be, maybe like on her way in, she had seen a McDonald's and was like, let me just ask again, like where that's located, because I'm really okay, bad fair. with directions or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but Yeah. So she said she was going to go eat a McDonald's, Um, whatever she went down to the front desk for the desk staff um, eventually saw her walk into the parking lot and drive away in her rental vehicle, which was a 93 Plymouth Acclaim with Oklahoma license plates. And this is the last known sighting of Denise. That was my brother's first car was a 93 Plymouth Acclaim. Wait, seriously? I think so. That's weird. I think it was a 93. It was definitely a Plymouth Acclaim. And you can scroll down on the document and see um, pictures of the car. It just seems like a very, like, 90s car. It was white. Um, Yep. But, yeah, just like that. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, his was brown, like tan brown, but, yeah. Cute. So when Melissa arrived shortly after midnight, like she said she was going to, um, she was apparently with two male companions and she went straight to Denise's hotel room, but Denise didn't answer the door. So just to note that when that trio was still in the parking lot of the motel, Melissa noticed that Denise's rental car wasn't there. And I'm, I'm assuming it would have been the only one with Oklahoma plates. And that's how she noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, how do you know what her rental car looks like? She couldn't text you a picture of it or. Yeah. I mean, I guess when she called her, she could say like, you know, oh, I'm in a white Plymouth Acclaim with Oklahoma plates. So that could be the reason. But yeah, I just don't know. Unless you were just kind of talking about like what kind of car you rented. Like why, if my friend was coming to see me at a hotel and I had a rental car, I don't think that I would mention the rental car. I'd be like, this is my hotel room number, you know, come there. I, I might just to say like, I mean, now this is the doors are on the outside. So I guess it's not, it doesn't have quite the same impact, but like when I've met up with friends at a hotel, like for a wedding, you know, like mm-hmm. we get rooms and we're all meeting up so that we can get ready and like go over together or whatever. I will ask them like where their car is or like I will search for their car to park near them. Okay. So and maybe it with the doors having been on the outside of the building, like a motel, maybe it was like, hey, look for this car because it's going to be really close to my door. Yeah. That's fair. Like maybe that's sort of like, oh, I'm in room seven, but there's a, you know, white Plymouth Acclaim right outside the door. So you'll know that one's mine. I guess I'm thinking too, I'm not sure how many other people were staying at the motel at the time. So if there's very few cars in the parking lot, you have the doors on the outside, you probably expect whoever's 
behind that door to be kind of parked in front of it. So if there's no car yeah. around with an Oklahoma license plate, I That's guess true. you would probably notice. But like apparently when she noticed that Denise's car wasn't there, like she flipped out, which just seems odd. So the owner who was at the motel at the time first called Denise's room um, when Melissa went back down to the front desk. Um, but of course, Denise didn't answer. So um, the owner ended up letting Melissa and her companions into the room. But Denise wasn't there. What was in the room were all of Denise's belongings, including her room key. So her suitcase was open on the bed, which and the bed didn't appear to have been slept in. There were cigarettes and a magazine on the bedside table. And someone had noted that the cigarettes weren't smoked. I don't know. Some things were like noted that pack. just, yeah, like that didn't seem super relevant to me, but maybe who am I to say? Yeah, I'm sure there's a situation where. You obviously want to be as detailed as possible, but like saying if it was maybe a sealed pack, like, hey, it still has the wrapper on it. There's not going to be DNA on any of these cigarette butts. Like, we don't have to test anything. Sure. Versus like if it had been an opened pack, maybe they would want to check in it. Like I know now I don't know if this was a big thing then because I don't know what cigarette cartridges looked like in like cigarette boxes looked like in the nineties, but like people keep the lighter in the cigarette box now. So like if you have anything like that, that might have fingerprints, you're going to want to test it. But if it's sealed, you're not going to have any of that. So mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it's just something like that. It might be noted too, because if she did ask for matches earlier in the night and then never smoked any cigarettes, I guess that could be notable. I mean, I'm thinking even as you're giving these details and saying like, you know, everything was on the bed. It was undisturbed. She hadn't slept in it. I'm pretty much thinking like she left for McDonald's and just never came back. So if she stopped at the front desk for the matches on the way to McDonald's, maybe she had an already opened pack of cigarettes that was like on her person and then was getting the matches and nothing was disturbed in the room because she just went straight from the front desk to McDonald's and then missing. Or maybe she just needed, she was running out of matches and was just getting them for later. Could be. true. Yeah. I just, I'm confused as to why her room key would still be in the room. Was she exhausted and she just left it in there? I've been known to do shit like that. So. I mean. Obviously, it, in the 90s, it was a like key key, right? Mm -hmm. Not like what we think of now. Right. I wonder if even in the 90s, they gave duplicates. Oh, that's a good question. There wasn't a mention of that. And they did interview like the owner. It was a couple that owned it and they okay. interviewed them and there. I didn't see mention of it. But I mean, of course, it's possible. Because, I mean, my my gut also says why give out two keys for the room if there's only one person. but. A, people still do that now. Like when I travel for work, there will be five of us in five different rooms and we all get two keys for whatever reason. Um, but then I also have to wonder if maybe back then it would be, you know, two keys, keys, 
but they would just give them both to whoever was in the room so that there wasn't like, oh, well, we still have one key and they have one key. And if, you know, something happens, then we're going to get blamed for having an extra key. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. It should be noted that there were no signs of a struggle. Um, so it didn't seem like anything had really happened within the hotel room. Yeah. Melissa immediately filed a missing persons report with the Middlesex Township Police. Uh, the police thought Melissa was maybe like overreacting a little bit, but they um, did put out an APB on Denise's missing rental car. So later that morning, which would have been April 13th, around 5.30 a.m., Denise's rental car was found abandoned in a rural area on Route 274 in Perry County. Do you know where that is? Yeah. That goes into Duncannon. Near New Germantown? It goes, it runs all of, like it runs along Perry County. It starts in Duncannon and it goes through um, to like the edge of the county. Okay. So that's so when you follow all of those roads, eventually they all meet up at a mountain and there's like the mountain is in Cumberland County, which is close to where Carlisle is. Mm -hmm. So you can very easily get from Carlisle to Perry County if you just go up over the mountain. Like the the highway goes around it, but there are roads that you can very easily get from one to the other. Um, So I can, I can totally, it wouldn't be that difficult, especially if she's already feeling totally lost. Yeah. And especially from where she was being in Middlesex Township, it'd be really easy to find your way up that mountain and onto 274. So that makes sense then that it was, you know, easy to get there, but it was near the um, Tuscarora. Is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. It was near the Tuscarora State Park, which was 35 miles from the hotel. So like, damn, girl, (laughs) if that's like her getting lost. um, I mean, it's easy to get to, but why, like, why are you continuing to go forward if you feel lost? Like, well, my question is, it seems like she just is not good in new areas. Why the hell would you take such a long trip? Like, I don't know. My, my sister hates it. And we have all this new technology. She still hates it. She begged me to go to Boston with her because her husband couldn't go because she gets lost even with the GPS. And, but she knows her limits. Like I would never, I remember my first time I drove by myself. I had my license for less than a month. I was going up to up upstate New York and my uncle gave me like landmarks. Somehow I managed mm-hmm. to get there. I have no idea. But like my sister, hell no. There's just some people are more, I guess, inclined with that stuff. I don't know. So that does make sense. But I think I mentioned it um, further into the story, but she had gone on a number of long trips like this. And her parents had said specifically, they weren't really worried about her driving that distance because she'd done it before. She actually lived in um, South Dakota for a while. So like going from like Oklahoma to South Dakota, like she'd done long trips before. That's so weird. Did she ever have these problems before? It was never mentioned. And if they weren't worried about it, I'm assuming not. So that's why I get 
that's why it's so weird to me. Like, okay, fine. You're like really bad at directions and you're getting super lost. But if you take long trips or you've done a lot of long trips, what is happening? Yeah. I wonder if it was one of those situations where like now, I mean, we're a lot more aware of it now, but like feeling like you're being followed. So you keep driving and taking turns and then, you know, paranoia kicks in and you just keep making turns and then you have no clue where you are. Like maybe yeah. it was just an offhand situation that felt weird. And for all we know, her getting lost somewhere in PA could have just been Pennsylvania being under construction. Cause it literally always is. And there's always a thousand detours and it's so easy to get lost in this state. So that's a fair point, but you know what? You'll see. You'll see. I'm playing devil's advocate <laughs> right now with the information I have. I'm right. Rooting what for you her. have right now. <laughs> that's very fair. So when they found the car, it appeared to have stopped in its tracks in the westbound lane. So it was not over to the side, wasn't in a ditch. It was stopped in the middle of the lane. The drivers and the passenger side doors were wide open. And I'm wondering, does this indicate that there was a passion passenger in the car if both doors were wide open? Um, or she was being chased by someone. I'm sticking with my theory here. I'm not laughing at her being chased. Um, she's like, someone is following her or whatever. And somehow I don't know why she stops in the road, but like someone is trying to talk to her and like tries to open a door and she tries to go out the other one. Well, if you're going to stick with your story, Sarah, it could easily be someone pretending to be a cop. Ah, yes. I mean, it happens all the time. That's why she could have stopped. And when she noticed something was wrong, he went in her side. She went out the other side trying to run. So the thing is, there was no sign of a struggle in the car. So I don't know if that someone who was chasing her just opened the door, but it doesn't appear that they were like inside the car, like trying to grab her. It, it, they did say, you know, there was the car was kind of messy. So I don't know if they were in there and just grabbed at her and you couldn't really tell, you know, I'm trying to help out your story here, but, um, it didn't appear that there was a struggle. Grace, you have seen my car. Is that like, (laughs) I mean, anyone would think a struggle happened in there and I'm being honest (laughs) a hundred percent of the time. (laughs) I didn't know which way you were going to go with this. (laughs) No, that's fair. I was actually kind of thinking like my car you would very much be able to tell if like a struggle went down because it's messy but it's like low-key messy where it's like just messy enough to be a little bit annoying (laughs) but not like overflowing messy that if I tried to like get out through my passenger door like I'm not going to trip over stuff but there's definitely water bottles and random crap like on the floor of my passenger seat well if somebody opened my passenger seat and try to like jump over like there'd definitely be iced coffee all over my car because it's bound to either be sitting in the center console or i'm holding it so that's how you know that there had been a struggle (laughs) okay yeah that's a valid point 
See, but I already have coffee stains all over my car because I spill it all the time. Oh, my God. Oh, this is sleep deprived, Sarah. <laughs> fun with my commentary. Um, so there wasn't a sign of a struggle. The hazards were switched on. Um, apparently, other drivers passing by had tried to turn them on because they were like, there's just this car in the road and you can't. I guess it was kind of like a foggy morning, too. So you're coming up on this car. And a white car. Yeah. And it doesn't have any hazards. You're probably like, what the hell? Get out of the travel lane um, i'm actually surprised like nobody hit it if it yeah. was um but maybe this just wasn't it was um near the letter kenny army base i guess okay so i guess people that were maybe going there in the morning but it's probably not like super heavy traffic i don't know i know there's more stuff there now mm -hmm. um like they have the army base and then one of my friends her fiance works there in letter kenny as well um and i forget exactly what he does but he does something with like farming um but he works for a company that's also based in letter kenny so now i know there's a lot of a lot more traffic there i don't know when that all really ramped up though i also had no idea there was a letter kenny army base until after i started watching the canadian show <laughs> when they mentioned pennsylvania in the one episode no actually i just we had already started watching it and we were like driving probably to you at one point and i was like <laughs> what letter kenny army base that's hilarious and ben's like you're yeah. an idiot so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was coming to see me because you guys wouldn't pass Letter Kenny coming to see us. Oh, but wow. Okay. Well, I'm probably going. Well, it could be like exit too, like, you know, how they. Yeah. But whatever. Anyway, I probably am an idiot. But so. <laughs> <laughs> so the hazards were switched on, but the car was out of gas and the battery was dead. So. Oh, that's not helpful. Yeah. It was not. Was um, the. Was the ignition like turned on obviously not running because it was out of fuel but was it turned on do you know there was no that, key and the key was never found okay. so she probably neither of these fun theories are probably what actually happened she probably just ran out of fuel in the middle of the road but like and the battery and it she was in the very middle of the road and at no point well, if she was sitting there out of gas like at no point no one else saw her like there's no mention of I mean, there's sightings of her earlier in the day stuff like that but there's no mention of like someone passing this car that's just sitting in the highway i mean if it's so late at night are people really going to be passing by between shifts really if there's not a lot really there it was described as like the middle of nowhere so you know it is possible that maybe people had yeah, already um, gone home for the day and then when they discovered her they were coming back the next day for their yeah. day yeah that's what that's i would fair. think with being on 274 that's not like so yeah now that i'm thinking about it because one of the investigators was like yeah if you were to run out of gas you wouldn't want to be here because it's the middle of nowhere so i guess it could be plausible that she was sitting in her car so out of she, gas for a while she runs out of gas she has the doors open for some reason i don't know why they would be open but if the doors are open the lights are going to be on so it's going to run down battery on that and then people okay. come by and they turn on the lights i mean like i've accidentally left 
headlights on overnight and it kills my battery or like accidentally leaving a door not fully shut and the light will stay on overnight. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot, especially for a car from 93. It's not going to take a lot to drain that That's battery. a very good point that the doors were open and the lights would be on. So that could be all it takes if that was like that for hours and hours. So at first I was like, oh, she has her doors open because it's hot. Then I went back and I was like, oh, it's April. It's probably freezing. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense for her to leave her doors open as she's waiting. I mean, because she, she wouldn't be able to have heat without gas, correct? Uh, right. I think like the light works. cars work. <laughs> you can have AC without gas but, but not you heat. need right yeah because there's nothing to run the so then heater. the only other thing i could think is maybe she opened them up so someone would notice that she wasn't moving so they would notice that was stop. my that was going to be my thought too was maybe it was to get attention wouldn't you just turn your you hazards just sit, on though but if her like, car's dead if her well, car she was out de- of gas at that point but you said her car died so maybe she left when her car died could be but i was just thinking like if she had left before the battery died like she may have left in a hurry or whatever when the doors were open and then she's away from the car but the doors are open and the lights are on and that's what causes the battery to die by the time they find it so looking at a car from the back i don't know for sure probably not I wouldn't think that these cars had like lights in the door, like, you know, a lot of cars now have. But if you open the doors, it's at least going to kind of work as a funnel for the light. So looking from the back, if you turn on your hazards, you're going to have two blinking lights. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're going to have two in the front. So you might see reflection from four lights versus or like four smaller lights versus being able to turn the light on and open the doors. And you're going to be able to see the light in all the windows from all sides. And with the doors open, it's going to funnel that light out. So I think we're way over analyzing this, but I think that could be a thought. I'm just trying to think because I highly doubt that her, she ran out of gas and her battery died at the same time. Like that doesn't sound realistic to me because the gas has if anything, very little to do with the battery. So just because you're out of gas doesn't mean your battery is going to die. So like, right. Something must have been on long enough to kill the battery. So yeah, it's just, we don't know if she was still with her car while those lights were on, or if she was already gone in the woods trying to get help. Right. Whatever. Um, it's true. So in the car, they found trash from various fast food restaurants. Um, Sources can't seem to agree on these restaurants, which talk about overanalyzing. Like, it's probably insignificant, but some somehow it's, like, annoying to me. They were like, it was a Hardee's bag. And then they were like, it was various restaurants, and McDonald's was in there. And I was like, so she did go to McDonald's. Or it's like, there better be a freaking McDonald's bag in there. That's all I'm saying. Just bothered all me. All this talk about McDonald's. There needs to be a McDonald's in that stinking car. I need a McChicken. So... Sorry. There was also a small (laughs) amount of pot in the car, as well as what is listed as, quote unquote, other unspecified indications of criminal activity. So I don't know what that means specifically, but I do know that she had a prior criminal conviction for forgery in South Dakota. Um, And she was actually on probation 
and South Dakota is where she lived with her father or aunt, depending on these sources. Like it was very hard to find a consistent story about, and it's the small details, like the big details are consistent throughout, but these smaller details, but she lived there for a while before getting pregnant. And then she returned to Haskell. Um, the father of the child's not in the picture. But aren't you supposed to not leave the state when you're on probation? That's or do, like, what I thought. Do I just watch too much TV? It's definitely the case now. Yeah. I don't know. I would think that was the case then as well, because I think we've gotten more lenient, not more strict, but. Oh, I thought the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what the guidelines were here. But other things found in her car were her birth certificate, which I find very weird. Because remember, this is she did own a car in Oklahoma, but to go on this trip, she rented one, which I don't find super weird. But her why would she had to have specifically taken her birth certificate for this trip? Maybe needing like two forms of ID. That's what I thought. If you don't have a passport mm -hmm. and you need two forms of ID, typically it's going to be your state ID and then like a birth certificate or social security card. Yeah, what would she doesn't... need that for, though? To rent the vehicle. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. I got you. Okay. That explains it a little bit because I'm like, what the hell? Um, so she also in the car were driver's license and a probation card. So now I'm like, what's a probation card? Did that maybe allow her to leave the state? Oh, like, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but what they didn't find, like I mentioned, were the keys to the car. So they were never found. She did have a change purse, which contained a small amount of cash. Um, and that was found in a nearby ditch. And that led authorities to believe that whatever happened to her robbery wasn't the motive. Because why leave cash behind. Not that it was a lot, but still, I mean, you think that yeah. if robbery was the motive, it would have been taken. I mean, if you're going to rob someone, you'll take anything that you can get. It doesn't matter if it's five bucks or 500. Right. Like, Especially if you're like robbing someone for drugs or something like you're going to take everything. I mean, if you're going to commit a crime, do it right. You're going to, you're yeah, criminals. No, but I mean, if you set out to do a crime, you're going to commit the crime. You're not going to go, oh, it's only five bucks. Guess this will just be assault and, and throws it away. in the ditch. Yeah. Like, right. <sighs> so, okay, here we get into exactly how lost she may have gotten. And this information wasn't released right away, um, but it was released about a year later. They had a press conference to like drum up more interest. And they did this a few times and they would release. Um, small amounts of information. But when authorities checked the odometer of the car, they noticed that the car had been driven six to 700 miles more than could be accounted for during her trip from Oklahoma. Now, like I understand getting lost and they even, you know, accounted for this excursion from the hotel. And on top of that, there's up to 700 miles that couldn't that didn't make sense looking at that like um approximations but from oklahoma to new jersey that's like roughly 1400 miles and then you're adding like half of that trip like 
I blows my mind. Like, yeah, I don't even know how you could do it. And then I think like, did someone purposely mess with her odometer to like throw things off? Like, could it be someone that knows cars? Cause like, I think it's easier for older cars to have their odometers um, manipulated compared to today's odometers. <laughs> Didn't Matilda come out, the movie Matilda come out in like 94 and her dad was like that shysty um, used yeah. car salesman and he always like took a drill to turn back the odometers. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not sure. They're, that's that's a lot of work. Yeah, that, that's no a lot of miles. I, I mean, that would take some time at least. But I don't know. Honestly, she, where would she get the time? How would it happen in that time yeah. frame? An extra 700 miles. It just does not make sense. There's yeah, no you're right. I wasn't, even, I wasn't even thinking about the time frame, but you're right. Like, I have to think, like, maybe the rental car company just messed it up. Like, as kind of ridiculous as it sounds, maybe the original mileage was something with like a one and they read it as a seven. So I it was, was thinking about something 600 similar. miles or like, I don't know, there's not too many other numbers that look super similar, like eight and zero. If they, you know, it's a really squished eight or a really fast and eight. They were and they're probably like writing things or, as opposed to like having it all in a computer. Right. Right. Um, but, and, you know, someone had mentioned sometimes like rental car companies might add some mileage to try to charge you more, but like that's insignificant amounts, not hundreds like 50% of miles. Extra, not. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I didn't even think about what Chelsea said when the time she was gone for like 48 hours. How do you drive that much in that? I don't know. I mean, she hadn't slept, but still, even still. Um, and like I mentioned, her parents said she'd gone on numerous long distance trips. So you would um, think that she had a better sense of direction. And also, yeah. I forgot to mention, there was a map found in her car. Like it didn't say specifically, but I'm assuming, you know, a road map. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm she should be able to read one if she'd gone on other long distance trips. So it just, I, would think so. I can't make it work in my brain. So the car was mud splattered and scratched. Um, I have photos of that as well, as if it had been driven off road. Um, police combed the areas, the area with dogs and helicopters, but they could find no sign of Denise. And it's just weird to me that it looked like it had been taken off road. First of all, it's a freaking Plymouth. And like, why would you take it off the road? And it was found in the middle of the highway. It wasn't found in a ditch or, you know, driven into the woods. Right. So what happened? Uh, the area was described as the middle of nowhere. So it was just a very strange place to find the car. A timeline pieced together by witness accounts and phone logs puts Denise as far as Schaeferstown in Lebanon County and Burnville. That's where Christmas Village is. I love Christmas Village in Berks County um, before apparently doubling back toward Carlisle. Um, and we'll go through that whole timeline in a bit. But yeah, there is something strange about where she was because it was actually closer. She had been closer to her destination in Jersey than before she was, than when she was in Carlisle. 
So it's, it's really weird. We can go through the timeline then. Um, interestingly, someone from the Carlisle area, Middlesex had called from a sheets and left a message on, remember her friend, Melissa's answering machine the day before Denise came into the area and police did believe this might be a significant lead, but Melissa stopped cooperating with them shortly after reporting Denise missing. And uh, oh. according to Jen Baxter on medium.com, as of July 2021, her whereabouts are unknown. Melissa's whereabouts. Yes. That's suspicious. Yeah. Don't so, be suspicious. Don't and be I don't suspicious. know, like, unknown as though she's also missing, just unknown as, like, she's not cooperating with police. She's just kind of. She's just, like, not at her house. Yeah, just keeping yeah. herself out of the public do we know what the message said no and it seems like i'm sure police know more than what they're letting on you know close to the chest and everything but um we don't know what it said and melissa claimed to not have connections to the area which is even weirder well my question is if she did have something to do with it why call the police anyway I mean, right. she could have gone forever before someone notified the police because her parents thought she was coming back in four days and there's two days past. They could have went even longer. I mean, right. It's just confusing. I don't know. I'm wondering and I'm inclined to believe that she didn't do it, but she knows more than what she's saying. And investigators will say that like throughout the case as well like they think she and a number of other people know more than what they're sharing so i mean and like the two people that came with her to the hotel do we know anything about those two people nope like just didn't know if maybe they were from jersey if they were local if they i'm I believe curious they about were from that. Jersey. They were, I okay. think they were like work acquaintances to Melissa okay. is what they were listed as. So that's pretty much all I know. Okay. I would never have a work acquaintance come with me. I don't even think a work acquaintance would even agree to go with me. That's far. And then to have to drive it and then come back. I, that's weird. I don't know if it was as like protection. I'm not, I'm not sure. It was never really explained, at least to the media. So apparently Melissa didn't even tell them about that call. Police found out themselves from an investigating months after Denise's disappearance. So that raised some serious red flags. They're like, you weren't going to mention this to us. Um, And especially when Melissa, like I said, claimed to have no connection to the area. So it's like, this was an out of the ordinary phone call from someone you don't claim to know and you didn't want to mention it. I wonder how they knew that someone was calling from that sheets. I mean, I guess if someone said like, oh, hey, I just made it to, you know, sheets here outside of Carlisle, like in the message. But otherwise, how would Melissa have known I mean, police could obviously trace it, look at a number and figure that out, whatever. But there must have been something in the message that 
if they expected Melissa to have told them about this call, there must have been something in the message that signaled where it was from. I see what you're saying. That like you know what she I, like, would know because they could have looked at her phone records and found that. But how would right. she know? Because, I see. What I you're mean, saying. the it would come up with a seven one seven area code, but that's not automatically like seven one seven covers a quarter of the state, right. a fifth of the state, something like that. So mm-hmm. it's not going to automatically say, "Oh, it must be from this sheets in Middlesex," because. It's a 717 number. Like, if they expected her to know that, there had to have been more information. Yeah. No, I totally get it. Yep. That makes sense. Um, Melissa also never explained what the problem was that Denise was supposedly coming to help her with. And I mean, that could be irrelevant. I'm really not sure. But it's just another piece of information that she didn't share. Even more discrepancies were found with Melissa's story. For instance, Melissa originally said that her boyfriend traveled with her to the Pike Motel to see Denise, but then it was later discovered that she had shown up with the two male acquaintances um, and they had apparently worked with her in Jersey. Also, it was said that Denise called Melissa to ask her to come to the hotel, and that's true, but Melissa and Denise had actually had many phone conversations from different places around the state. So I actually have this timeline posted from the Sentinel, which is based in Carlisle, and that's where I got a lot of this information um, from that newspaper. But so on... I'll just read some of it. Like on Tuesday, April 12th, around 1250 AM, an unknown person places a call from the Sheets Market in Middlesex Township to the voicemail, well, answering machine of Melissa Shepard in New Bergen, New Jersey. I think it was just Bergen. I think that's a misprint. I think it was it's just Bergen, New Jersey. Um, but that's around the time that that phone call was made. At 639 AM, Um, Denise called Melissa's home from Somerset, Pennsylvania. At 11.30 a.m., Denise was spotted in Schaeferstown, Lebanon County. So that's... And she also called Melissa from that location. So that's one of the places that is closer to Jersey than Carlisle. So... You know, she had to double back at 3.30, which is hours after this, Denise called Melissa from Burnville, which is also closer yeah. to Jersey than Carlisle is. Um, I mean, she's nearly to Philly at that point. Yeah. But then two hours later, she is in a Hess gas station in Middlesex Township, and she also calls... Um. Melissa. And that gas station is on the same road, I believe, as the hotel. Because Route 11, I'm yes. pretty sure, becomes Harrisburg Pike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... Or vice versa, whatever. This is a little bit of a different timeline than what I'd seen before, but I guess between 5.45 and 5.59 p.m. Um, on that day, she registers at the Pike Motel and then calls Melissa four times from her hotel room. Do they list the duration of those calls? Like, did she just not answer and oh, kept calling you know back? what? I'm sorry. And I read that wrong too. Um, 
yeah, it's backwards. Melissa actually called her hotel room four times. Sorry. (laughs) So, okay. We're going to have to put this image on like the blog as well, but Mm -hmm. I'm looking at between 545 and 559. She registers at 559. Melissa's calling her. Mm-hmm. But there's no outgoing call until 8.05. Right. So how does she know? Like, I, I mean, she very well, whenever she called at 5.27 from the Hess station, she very well could have said, hey, there's a motel here called Pike Motel. I'm going to go check in. But I can't imagine in 20 minutes, half an hour, that Melissa would be so worried that she's calling the hotel four times in an hour to get patched through to her room. I don't know that it just, it is bizarre. Like they, they're the exact same time. And how would she already have the room number to call? I mean, you could call the front desk and patch through, but still it, I don't, it's weird. I don't like it. Yeah. It's, it's just, I can't make it work in my brain. I hate, cases like that because I can't even come up with a story like I can't even make up a story that explains away everything the phone calls from the different places could have been because Denise was so lost but like we said at multiple points she was closer to her New Jersey destination than she was at the Pike Motel I wonder if it was a turnpike thing so if she is over in Lebanon County, makes her way to Berks County, and then feels like she's lost, sees signs for the turnpike. PA Turnpike connects to Jersey. So, you know, maybe trying to get on the turnpike, but instead of getting on east, she winds up going west and then gets off the Carlisle exit because that, like, the Carlisle exit pretty much spits you out onto Harrisburg Pike. Yeah, not pretty much. It does. Like, that's where it's. Yeah, I just have a hard time because unless it's super different to drive like in this area than in like Oklahoma to South Dakota and you've made so many long drives before, I just can't imagine that you can't read a map. Something else is going on. Like there's there's a mental block. There's a physical something. There's a like there is there's something else going on. Yeah. Um, But just note that Melissa has no criminal record and police have never named her as a suspect or even a person of interest. Earlier, we talked about she got to the hotel motel. She called Melissa and then she went to McDonald's. So if she checked in at like six and if the call is at eight where she's going to McDonald's, I don't, maybe it's just weird. Cause in my brain, I imagined like she pretty much got in, made the phone call, went and got food, like not sat in the room for two hours and then went and got food. I think she was at the motel, probably somewhere between Well, I guess if we have the call log timeline, so it must have been slightly before six o'clock, but I think she went to get food. Yeah, you're right. Between 730 and eight. Now, I mean, it it could have been 
checking in and then you go back out to the car you move the car to where the room is although it's not that huge of a a motel but (laughs) right um then you have to you know get your stuff out maybe she starts unpacking things i just still can't there wasn't that much out of her suitcase right it was like a couple just clothes were unpacked and it looked like she may have changed clothes but that was about it okay like that's not that doesn't take you two hours. No, it doesn't. And if she was, she said she was going to nap, so maybe she fell asleep before she went maybe to get McDonald's because she was exhausted. But it. Maybe. They also said it seemed like the bed had not been slept in. So did she sleep on the floor? <laughs> well, and if if she made the call at eight oh five, she wouldn't have been. Right. Like she said she was going to nap after she got food, but she told that to Melissa on the phone. Right. Yeah. So if she had already taken a nap, she wouldn't have said, I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. Unless she's me. Like, I don't know. I could totally nap, wake up, tell someone else I'm going to take a nap and then nap again. (laughs) Yeah. Superpower. Very big on naps, as we were talking about before we started (laughs) recording. So. Yeah. Anyway, and now sorry. That, that was just kind of my random thought there. And you actually kind of like dissected the timeline more than I did because I didn't really sit and look at that timeline because what I have written above from other sources say that it was more around seven, seven o'clock that Denise talked to Melissa. So that's I wonder where all the timelines come from. Like, I wonder if at one point, you know, police said this and the Sentinel got this from police at a certain time. But then later police revised their statement. But the Sentinel still, you know, like it was so different because it wasn't a 24 seven media frenzy. Like we're so used to now. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, all the time Penn live will put out articles and just say, you know, like insert crazy event here. And it'll just say like, Hey, an event happened updates coming. And literally that's the article. Yeah. And then you see them edit and add to it and adjust it and change it and whatever. So I think maybe it was just something along the lines of at a certain point that was the timeline and then it got updated. But it is interesting because this timeline was printed um, exactly a year after she had gone missing. But the other um, time and this is supposed to be based on phone records um, and some witness accounts. But, you know, I've looked at updated pages like the Charlie Project and. um, Yeah. What are the other ones that I'm trying to think of? Doe Network, stuff like that. And that's kind of where I put together the timeline where she talked to Melissa more around like seven o'clock. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it makes a huge difference, but maybe it does. I don't know. I wonder, too. If anybody was getting now, if you're getting details from the police, obviously it's probably more accurate. But if anyone was getting details from like the family, it's possible the family could mix up times just because they were they lived in a different time zone. Sure. So it 
it could be, you know, if the family is saying, oh, it was 7 p.m. Well, no, it was 8 p.m. here, but it would have been 7 p.m. your time. So I don't know if for some reason that would wind up in stories. I don't know. Could be. You're right. We are. We really are very much overanalyzing a lot of these details. How can you not? Because it's just bizarre. There's so Um, much. Melissa has never been named a suspect or person of interest, and they've never named any suspects officially. They have, however, gone on record to say that they believe Melissa and others know more than what they have shared with investigators. So they're like, someone knows something, and it's someone that has spoken to us probably already, but they haven't told us everything. I feel like that's the case with most of these that we end up talking about. Yeah. So this is a little weird. In November of 94, so a few months after Denise goes missing, the wife of Denise's married boyfriend, Mike, claimed that she had gotten a call from Denise telling her to tell Mike that she had gotten married and would not be returning home. So she calls her married boyfriend's wife and says, tell your husband. I'm already married, so I'm not coming home. (laughs) I want to have words and not just facial expressions. Yeah, we can't see those. I only have facial expressions. She's (laughs) short-circuiting. I don't... I'm short-circuiting. Like, at... The only thing I could think of is maybe uh, Mike's wife was trying to, like, get back at him or hurt him, or maybe she knew and was holding out to do it at, sure. like, a good opportunity yeah. time or something, because people can be wicked when someone else is cheating. I mean, I love petty, so... Honestly. I'm all for petty. Like, the, I don't I don't dislike petty. I'm more astounded at quote unquote Denise for being able to call his wife and just be like BT dubs. I've been dating your husband, but now I'm married. So tell your husband, I'm not dating him anymore. Like that you got to have a pair to like call your boyfriend's wife and just say that. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's just me unless it was like a thruple thing and that's just what they worked out. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. Well, police don't believe that this phone call ever happened, or if it did, they don't believe that it was Denise. Fair enough. Uh, Side note, (laughs) this is just funny to me. Mike owned an airport in Haskell, and I was like, oh, damn, Mike. And then I remembered seeing that the town had like 2,000 residents, so it probably flies out like play school helicopters or something. (laughs) It's like the Duncannon (laughs) Airport. (laughs) It was just funny. I was like, a whole airport? Yeah. So Denise's family said it would be uncharacteristic of her to leave without warning and that she was handling her life well as a single mother and she loved her child. Foul play is suspected and her family has had her legally declared dead, though for years investigators were pretty split on whether they believed she was alive or dead. According to a CBS 21 News article from September of 2020, Pennsylvania State Trooper John Boardman now leads the investigation. He says there were missteps in the beginning of the investigation, including neglected trails around where Denise's rental car was found. Um, so I guess that initial, initial search wasn't as thorough as they had said. 
I mean, literally every inch of space within a 20 mile radius of that car is woods and trails. Like, yeah, it's going to be easy to miss. He has led some small searches, but there needs to be new evidence in order to organize a larger scale search. And I was like, but wouldn't a larger search mean a larger chance of finding evidence? But think about how much money, but think about how much money that would cost. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I get it. Like funding and resources for sure. Like I, I get it logically, but I'm like, it's just a shame. Sure. He says they're working with technology that can lift fingerprints off of cloth. Um, it's called vacuum metal deposition. It's his hmm. understanding that they have fingerprints from many things. It's kind of weird to me, though, when they say it's my understanding. I'm like, do you really know? Mm. <laughs> um, it's like we kind of have a somewhat thought. I'm assuming if they do have like the fingerprints, it's... um from inside her car and off her belongings and they just need to wait for them to be tested. Um, and hopefully some of those fingerprints are not hers and can be matched to someone. He admits that he admits that this case could remain open for a very long time, which is interesting because a lot of investigators who take on these cold cases are like, we're going to do it. We're not going to stop until we get it we're so close and he's just like "Mm, it could be a while but he's just being honest i mean i was gonna say i'd rather it it makes me think of um the case that we just did last week with charlotte and her sister saying basically like don't contact me until you have updates because there's so much false hope in it yeah i kind of like the honesty of him just saying look we're trying it might be like this for a while yeah so today Denise would be 51 years old if she still happens to be alive and she left on her own volition. Um, just a weird note, a crew from unsolved mysteries actually taped an episode about this, but they decided not to air it because I guess it wasn't exciting enough. And I was really bummed because at first I was like, Oh, there's an unsolved mysteries. That's great. Like I love like watching stuff about the cases and you know, I love the cheesy uh, reenactments, but well, yeah, of course. I found out they decided not to air it. So that's disappointing for everyone. Lame. I was looking up a case today and same thing. I was like, Oh, unsolved mysteries. Like, Oh, never mind. Yeah. They were like, oh, no, thanks. Like, great. Thanks. Um, So there are two main theories that investigators worked with, at least in the first few years. The first is foul play slash homicide. Some investigators, Denise's family and Melissa, believe that Denise's disappearance involved foul play. Her family said that she wasn't the type of person to just run away. And even the original lead investigator, Les Freeling, uh, believed that that had she still been alive, she would have tried to contact her son at some point. Like they were just known to be, she was known to be a very good mother doting and she would have tried to contact him. That's kind of what I was thinking. And I figured out the case that this reminds me of is the case of Don Mozino. Okay. And it was the same, like now hers was the one with the snow, but like there were these, you know, maybe she ran off to start a new life, but. Like, she would not have left her child. hmm And I, I don't know. It just seems like it almost has to be foul play because I can't imagine someone leaving their 
child. Right. I mean, people do it, but it doesn't well, seem like that was in her character. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um, her mother believes that she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, the other yeah. theory is that the Denise planned to disappear. Some investigators believed that Denise had staged her disappearance. And I couldn't find much about why they thought this. Like investigators who mentioned this to the media declined to elaborate because they didn't want to reveal too much. Did anything come up about, because it usually does, like trucking? I hadn't seen anything about that. I'm now, sure I mean, it's probably something they looked into. I have to imagine, but I don't know what was all down there at that time, but the sheets was there. Um, like I said, this is right where the turnpike um, lets off in Carlisle. So if someone is looking to stop and either go to a truck stop, stop at a hotel, whatever, like that's a pretty popular exit, at least now um, with truckers, because there's so much there. So I almost would wonder if for some reason, it doesn't explain why her car would be gone. Like there'd have to be something deeper to it, but right. I wonder if it was someone that was just in the area because of like trucking or sure. something like that. So personally, I believe that the former theory seems to be the most plausible. And I really believe that drugs were involved just personally, like either Denise was carrying and delivering drugs and that's why she made so many stops or she was on drugs and that's why she kept getting so hopelessly lost. And I mean, like, I don't have a great sense of direction, but I just don't know anyone who could get that lost with the map in the car. This theory makes a lot of sense to me, especially if it was kind of like a last minute sort of someone needed to, you know, get a fix and, you know, somehow you know, everyone has friends all over the place. You know, someone in Jersey says, um, oh, my friend's coming up from Oklahoma and she's bringing X, Y, Z. Well, word gets to another friend that lives in Carlisle and she does, you know, she drops off in, was it Schaefertown and, um, you know, over in Burks and then, Maybe that's what that call was from the sheets the night before was like, hey, I'm going to be here at this time. So that's why she circled back, because she could go to Lebanon and then Burks and then make it back for whatever time this person could meet there. I mean, again, it's kind of far fetched, but it might also explain a lot of extra miles if she was doing that in a lot of places. Right. But that doesn't account for time. So and I don't know why she would just stop in that area, but it I mean, it's a possible explanation. Right. And I, I'm just like thinking, like, was she on uppers and that's how part of how she hadn't slept well, and how she had made it yeah. that long? It just seems like this sort of erratic behavior would be driven by either drugs or mental illness. And I couldn't find any mention of mental illness. So this case actually like semi reminds me of my all time favorite, like true crime case, Brian Laspiza, uh, yeah. with his driving for hours on end and like getting lost or sitting there and then disappearing. Uh, that's really what it reminds me of. And they, I guess, boil his down to mental illness. 
but she's a little, I don't know the age of women when their mental illness hits, but I want to say it's like, isn't it like early twenties? So isn't she a little old for it? I know with like schizophrenia tends to appear in your early twenties, but it's also, I wonder too, if she was having mental health issues, but a lot of it was maybe chalked up to like, maybe she was depressed, but you know, oh, well, she's not with her partner anymore or, you know, like, I wonder how how many signs there were that it was something mental health related, but that either the signs were ignored or explained away because there was such a stigma around any of that. So, you know, explain it away so that you don't have to deal with it. Could be. It's always possible. So even though Denise's family had her declared dead, they still want and deserve to know what happened to her. There have been tons of sightings, quote unquote sightings, um, tips, offers from psychics, possible Jane Doe's, um, and press conferences to drum up interest over the years, but just nothing seems to have led investigators any closer to finding out what happened. I don't know. For your theories, I just, when you had mentioned, uh, uh, Mike's wife. I mean, that is a huge like person in my mind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- it doesn't seem like there was much information about it, but to me, I mean, that is a lot of motive. I mean, you're right. And I only things. ever saw that blurb about the phone call. I've never seen anything more in depth about I wonder her. if maybe she was looked at or the boyfriend was looked at and they were both found to have been in Oklahoma at the time or something. Probably. I'm really hoping that due diligence was done because they are keeping a lot close to the chest, but I don't know. I'm just trying to have faith that they did check out these people. There hasn't been much media coverage since the very, very early aughts, but her disappearance definitely still haunts some investigators. So, you know, there's still people out there in um, law enforcement that want to figure out what happened to her. Um, I do have her like vital statistics from the Doe Network website, so I can post those on our blog and social media. Um, If you have any information concerning this case, you can contact the Middlesex Township Police at 717-249-7191 or the PA State Police 717-249-2121. And I'll also post like the agency case number and all that information on our blog. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins. Production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.